You're listening to the Renovation Church Sermon Podcast. For more information on services and events at our Simpsonville and Greenville locations, visit us online at therenovation.church. Today's message is presented by our Greenville teaching pastor, Matt Humphrey. We, uh, we're, we're wrapping up our series on rhythms today, talking about the rhythm of generosity. Now you're like, uh-oh, one, that doesn't seem like a rhythm, um, and two, church is talking about money. Here we go again, right? Um, well, we talked about this a little bit last week. We hit on it um, last week when we were outside talking about the, the family of God, talking about an axis generosity, but one, um, when it comes to generosity, it doesn't really have that much to do with money as it does the heart. Um, the essence of, of, I always say this when we, we talk about money, money isn't a money issue, money is a heart issue. Um, and secondly, is that what we see in, in scripture is that Jesus actually talks a lot about treasure and money. In fact, more than heaven and hell combined. Um, and, and I guess the third one is that the, the misnomer, oh, the church only wants your money. Um, that's not true. Uh, especially, our, I hope and pray here, our, our job is to just point back to, to God's word, right? Uh, what we want for people uh, is we want God's blessing on your life in every area, in your relationships, in your finances, um, in your home. We, that's what we want. And we know that we get God's blessing when we do things God's ways. Uh, and so that's what this is really about. Uh, but more than just uh, money, we're talking about this idea of, of generosity. But what does that mean to you? We talk about generosity. Uh, you're like, is that, is that a personality type? Is that, a, is that just certain people? Is that certain people that have enough that they can actually be generous? What, what does it mean when we talk about generosity? Um, is, it, is it an upbringing, the family you grew up in? Uh, this is going to be the, the basis for it. This is one of our, our convictions here as a church is that grateful hearts are generous. We truly believe that, that generosity is not uh, something we do. It's out of the overflow of what has been done for us. That grateful hearts, we receive the gospel gratefully. That all of us, if we have a relationship with Jesus, we know that we were once dead in our sin, but God, right? God made a way for us to be, uh, have our sins forgiven, to be reinstated, to, to have a relationship, a right relationship with God the Father. We do that through the sacrifice of Jesus. So that changes everything. In fact, Ephesians 1 says this, uh, starting in verse 3. If you have a Bible with you, we're going to jump around. we got three different passages today, so uh, it's like a mini sword drill going on. But Ephesians 1, verse 3, says, All praise to God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly realms because we are united with Christ. Even before he made the world, God loved us and chose us in Christ to be holy and without fault in his eyes. God decided in advance to adopt us into his own family by bringing us to himself through Jesus Christ. This is what he wanted to do, and it gave him great pleasure. So we praise God for the glorious grace he has poured out on us who belong to his dear son. He is so rich in kindness and grace that he purchased our freedom with the blood of his son and forgave our sins. He has showered his kindness on us along with all wisdom and understanding, meaning that there is nothing that you and I could do to earn right standing with God. It is through the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus that we have hope, that we have life. It doesn't say he kind of portioned out a little bit of love and grace on us. No, he, he lavished it on us as sons and daughters. 
So we, we come to this idea of generosity, one, having to be grateful, right? Grateful that we did nothing to earn salvation, but God freely gave it to us through the death of his son, right? But, but what does that mean in how we actually like live our lives? How does that well up and produce generosity in us? Um, a couple years ago, a few years back, actually, um, my, my father-in-law got married and I got to be a part of the, the ceremony. And, you know, with, with family, there's always like, hey, can you help take this down after? Everyone gets kind of like a little list of things to do. And so we, we cleaned up and everything, but um, the wedding cake hadn't been dealt with. It was still there. And, and this wedding cake was by far like the best cake in all of Greenville. Like if you know, you know, Brick Street Cafe. If anyone ever had sweet potato cake, there was one here last week if you caught it outside. I was surprised at the end of the line it was still here. But hands down, one of the best cakes in Greenville. If you haven't f- found out, like don't live under a rock anymore. Okay, go to Brick Street. Their cakes are amazing. But the, the entire bottom of this wedding cake hadn't been touched and it was a sweet potato cake. And the thing weighed like 50 pounds. And so we're like, I guess we'll take it home, you know, out of, out of service in Jesus' name, right? So we take this thing home and we're surely, we're like, his parents were staying with us. There's family in town. And so everyone's coming over. And so we're like, hey, you want some cake? We got tons of it. And so we're dishing out cake like it's water. Like we're just like, you get a piece, you get a piece. It's like Oprah, you know, everyone gets a piece of cake. And so we're having it for breakfast, for lunch, for dinner. Um, we're just kids want cake. Sure, have some cake. Usually like we like give slivers to the kids. We're like, we've got, I mean, it was as big as this table. It was massive. And then uh, like the next day, her dad texts says, hey, by the way, we're going to come by tomorrow to pick up the cake. We're like, what do you mean the cake? You mean the, the little topper that we have in the freezer? He's like, no, the cake. I'm like, we'll talk about that when you get here. Um, he was fine. Everything's cool. But we're, we're like, we're being generous with it because one, it wasn't even ours to begin with. And we were just, you know, we're, we're celebrating. But at that point, we're like, all right, you get a portion. Okay, you get a, you get a sliver that's going to have to hold you over. Um, but it's this idea that like, I did nothing to earn it, but we're, we're, we're grateful for what we have. And so we, we share with others. The idea of, of generosity starts with the gospel. It starts with the fact that we did nothing to earn the greatest thing that ever happened to you and I in all of eternity. And out of response to that, out of response to the, the gratitude that we have that we live generous lives. It's not just about the spiritual blessings, but I won't even take a census, but all of us in this room are rich. You're like, I don't know about, if you you look at the world standard, uh, the poverty level for the world, uh, every country has a different poverty level, but the poverty level across the globe that they use is those that live on less than $2.04 a day. 700 million people in the world live on less than $2.04 a day. The poverty level for the United States is $35 a day. But the average American, we live off of $165 a day. And if you have teenagers, that probably is a little bit higher based on food, right? Um, $165 a day. In, In the world standards, no one could say that you're not rich in this room, more than likely. And and so when we have been given so much, not just in spiritual blessings, but in, in our lives, like we have a responsibility and we have a, we have a calling to, to live generous lives. So what stops us? Um, three things that usually stop us. One, the first thing is a scarcity mentality, a scarcity mentality. When I was growing up as a kid, um, I 
they call me cheap. I never wanted to spend money. I collected all my coins, all my money in a box, and everyone else in the family had to borrow money from me. So I was like a little banker. I felt like I was playing Monopoly. Um, because towards the end of it, it was only filled with IOUs that I never even got to cash in. Still bitters meets no, um, But But I, they, they always would make jokes like, well, Matt's never going to spend his money. We can borrow from him. I was just like, I don't know when the next is going to come. And so I'm just going to hold on to everything that I have. I, I'm not going to spend any of my money. Um, but the reality is we, we act the same way. Does the Lord not meet every one of our needs? Not wants, but needs. The Bible tells us if we, if we have a need that we're to ask our, our gracious Heavenly Father who already knows what we need, and he meets those. Like, if you think back into Exodus, the, the Israelites, when they're in the desert for 40 years, they're, like, there's no Walmart, there's no Uber Eats, right? Every single day they wake up and there's this stuff on the desert floor they call manna, which means what is it? And, and they gathered it together and that's what they ate. And by mid-afternoon, it had evaporated. It, it was gone. So you collected. So they understood this idea that, that God was their provider, right? They, they understood this. They, they, you only collected what you need, and what you had was, was enough for the day. And sometimes we, we have this scarcity mentality. I, I don't believe in a, in a prosperity gospel, uh, but I do believe that God provides for his children. I do believe that God provides for our needs. So one, we, we, we have to, God is not limited. He's just not. And so if we believe that God is our provider, but yet we live with a scarcity mentality, then we are putting God in a box and God's provision in a box and a limit on that. The second thing is the wrong view of ownership. Um, when you and I woke up this morning and took our first breath, um, that wasn't ours. God gave it to us. And, and the wrong idea of ownership is that what I have is mine. Um, I don't, your kids are probably perfect. Uh, I love mine. They're cool. But sometimes they argue. Uh, they may argue about something, about a toy, about a seat, about who has more juice in their cup or whatever it may be. Um, and, and I feel like as, as a dad, this is like the typical dad thing to do. They're arguing like, this is mine. I'm like, no, it's not. It's actually mine right? It's like, because this is my house. Because everything that you think is yours, guess what? It's not yours. It's mine. So you have your clothes in your room, in, in this house. It all belongs to me and your mom. That cookie that you're going to eat, uh-uh. It's mom and dad's, right? Deal with that, okay? But, but like my, we, we always like remind them that like what we have isn't, isn't theirs. It belongs to, to us and ultimately belongs to the Lord. But what, is it, what is that trying to instill? Trying to instill that no matter what I have, is not mine, it's the Lord's. The fact that you woke up this morning and that we could breathe is because of God. The fact that you have a brain and that you have the capacity to actually go out and get a job is because of God's goodness. The fact that you actually can, can have a, a place to live and maybe a family to, 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 to raise is by God's grace. Everything that we have is because of the Lord. Not because you put in extra hours, not because you, you knew somebody, not because the trust fund that you maybe inherited. Everything that we have belongs to the Lord first. And we don't own it, we manage it. And so when we have this idea that, well, this is mine, and we have, we have closed fists on, on what God has 
allowed us to, to steward and to manage, we, 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 there's this, this gate that fails to open when it comes to generosity. But when we say, hey, everything I have, I've been freely given already by God. It's just mine. God has entrusted it to me. I read this. It says, one of the greatest barriers to experiencing God's rest is our relationship to money. We overvalue money and therefore overwork in order to accumulate more of it. We are truly able to rest when we tr trust and we can say and believe that God is our provider. Not the extra hours, not climbing the corporate ladder. If God truly is, now that's not like the, uh, hey, let me quit my job and sit on the couch and let God provide there, <laughs> right? God is also like, called you to work, called you to do something. But ultimately, at the end of the day, who's provider? Is it me or is it the Lord? And the third thing, the third thing that stops our generosity is the wrong view of others. Um, being totally honest, we kind of judge people whether they merit our generosity or not. Whether this is situation that somebody may be in is, is self-inflicted or, or, or maybe how close we are to them, or they're, they're, they're worthy of, of our generosity. Um, I, I'm not saying that we can respond to every single need that comes in front of us. The reality is we, we can't. Um, but if we want to respond to the, the ones that are in front of us, we, we can't have a false view of other people. And I'm, I'm challenging this, honestly, by my kids as well. They love to be generous. Uh, sometimes not towards each other, but towards other people. Um, and, uh, especially like when it comes to, to birthdays of other people, my, my middle uh, son, the other day, he, they came home and it's always like when someone has a birthday in his class, it's like, it's his best friend, which I'm like, I've never even heard of Bob before. This is the first time I've heard you say Bob, but he wanted to get him a birthday present and he went upstairs, found a, a, a star Wars puzzle. He hadn't opened. He wanted to give it to his friend for his birthday. And I'm like, dude, no, we don't even know this kid. And then instantly I was like, I'm talking about generosity at church this week. Oh, Conviction of the Holy Spirit, right? And I'm like, how is it that, 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 that kids can have this idea sometimes to just want to be generous towards other people? And then selfishly, we're like, I don't really know them. I'm not close with them. Should we dish this out? Should we save it for somebody else? We need to be led by the Holy Spirit with our generosity. And this aspect of, of, of who we're generous towards is, is not like a just a modern thing. This has been a thing for, for thousands of years. In fact, we're going to look at uh, Luke chapter 10, a very well-known passage of scripture. You've probably heard of it, the, the parable of the, of the Good Samaritan. Um, and so we're going we're gonna to unpack this and see the three aspects of generosity in this story as we look at it. But if you have your Bible, Luke chapter 10, uh, we're going to start in verse 30. Uh, but set up, there's some uh, religious leaders, experts in religious law that ask Jesus, hey, what's the greatest commandment? And he responds, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. And so in seeking either clarity or figuring out, you know, where the line is, he says, hey, who's my neighbor? And this is Jesus' response. Jesus responds with a story. He says, a Jewish man was traveling from Jerusalem down to Jericho, and he was attacked by bandits. They stripped him of his clothes, beat him up, and left him half dead beside the road. Now, time out for a second. In the context of the hearer of this story, they were very familiar with this road. The road that went from Jerusalem down to Jericho was about 20 miles and descended about 3,600 feet in just 20 miles. 
It was full of, of rocks and rock slides and twists and turns. It was very well known uh, for the bandits and the robbers and, and all the trouble that would be had on this road. So it wasn't somebody, it wasn't just a place you would like go for a stroll in the middle of the night or even go by yourself. Um, it's like the area of town that you don't want to like have your car break down in the middle of the night, right? It, this is, this is a, a perilous road that was very well known. Even into the 18, 1800s and even as late as like the 1930s, this road was known for that. Um, people would jump out and they would even have like a, a decoy of someone. And when people would stop, they would jump out, they would rob them, they would assault them. And then they would flee into the hills before the police could ever arrive. So the hearers of this, they hear about this road and a guy and they're like, shouldn't have been there. This, this, this guy's doomed. This is, this is a horrible place to be there, to be on. Uh, we've seen the scary movies. Like we know how this ends up, right? Verse 31. By chance, a priest came along, but when he saw the man lying there, he crossed to the other side of the road and passed by him. A temple assistant walked over and looked at him lying there, but he also passed by on the other side. Now, priests and temple assistants, they had responsibilities. They also had very strict guidelines for cleanliness that they would uphold. And so a priest could not touch anything unclean or, or someone dead because he would be disqualified from his temple duties. And so one could look at this and say, well, he's just, he's trying to serve the Lord, right? He has things that he has to do. And if he, if he defiles himself by touching this man, um, he could be disqualified. He couldn't do the thing that he needed to do. Even the temple assistant, they, they went over, they, they looked at this guy, but instead of actually stopping and, and, and trying to help this man, they just continued on. Verse 33. Then a despised Samaritan came along, and when he saw the man, he felt compassion for him. Now, a gasp probably went out in the room at this moment because they're like, oh, a Samaritan? You have to understand that the, the Samaritans and the Jewish people, there was a deep-seated hatred for one another. Like, th this wasn't just like... Um, you know, a Gamecock was walking down and we, we see a Tennessee fan on the side of the road crying from last night. Sorry, I had to, I had to. This was, this was like a deep-seated hatred. Uh, when the northern and southern kingdoms, uh, when they were divided, um, the, the conquering Assyrians, they would, they would send out um, the people who lived there and they would live, have to live in different countries and they would bring in some of their own people in. And so the Samaritans were, were a mixed race between some of the Hebrew people that were living there and some of the Assyrians. And so they weren't fully Jewish, they weren't, or they weren't fully Hebrew, they weren't fully Gentile, and so they were looked down on. They even had their own temple in which they would go and worship. Racism isn't a new concept. But from the beginning to the end, there's no room for racism in the kingdom of God. Right? It's evil. And the, the, the animosity between these two groups two groups wasn't just surface level. In fact, uh, some rabbis would even teach that uh, a Jewish person was uh, forbidden to help a Gentile woman giving birth because it would just bring another Samaritan in the world. Like, that goes deep. That's a level of hatred that many of us don't even understand. And so 
Jesus is always going to flip everything upside down. He says, hey, hey the, the, the priest walks by, the temple assistant walks by, but a despised Samaritan walks by. And when he saw the man, he felt compassion for him. Going over to him, the Samaritan soothed his wounds with olive oil and wine and bandaged them. Then he put the man on his own donkey and took him to an inn where he took care of him. The next day, he handed the innkeeper two silver coins, telling him, take care of this man. If his bill runs higher than this, I'll pay you the next time I'm here. Now, which of these three would you say was a neighbor to the man who was attacked by bandits? Jesus asked. And the man replied, the one who showed mercy. Then Jesus said, yes, now go and do the same. Now, this isn't an exhaustive list, but there's three moments or three ways that generosity is displayed in this account. The first one is this, is that we show generosity with our compassion and care. One of the ways that we can show compa- uh, generosity towards people is with our compassion and care. It says, when he saw the man, he felt compassion for him. Going over the Samaritan, soothed his wounds with olive oil and wine and bandaged him. The, the word for compassion in the Greek is not a noun, it's a verb. Meaning that compassion is not just like, oh, I pity the person. Or, oh, I, I feel bad for you. No, compassion was, was directly correlated to action of some sort. So when it said the man felt compassion, it wasn't just a passive thing, it was active. He, he felt so much compassion that he was compelled to do something about it. See, there, there's a difference from like feeling bad about someone, like, oh, that's a bad situation you're in. Looks bleak down there. Now, generosity that, that overwhelms in light of what we've been given by God is, is how can I help? How can I truly care for you? Show compassion and empathy for you. How can I model that? We disregard comfort for what's most important. It is hard to be compassionate towards others if we're self-absorbed. If we are the most important thing in our life, it is very hard to be compassionate towards others because we can't empathize. Because we can't put ourselves in other people's shoes. Compassion is led by seeing the value in other people. The second thing is with our time. It says he put the man on his own donkey and took him to an inn where he took care of him. I'm sure the Samaritan had things to do. He had people to see. He had places to visit. Um, moments where there is need are very regularly, very, uh, are not very often scheduled. It's usually when you're in the middle of something. It's usually when you are, have back-to-back meetings, when you, you're trying to, to multitask, uh, when you're running like two minutes behind for work and you're having to navigate through because you didn't plan ahead and, and all of these things. And then that's when something happens. Like, I don't have time for that. I, I just, I don't have time to, to, to allocate um, resources or anything to be able to do it. But one of the ways that we can like, prepare our, our, our lives for this is to create margin. Like if, if we, at the end of the day, we all want to be able to respond that way, right? We all want to be driving or, or, or walking and see a situation and be able to stop everything to help to show love, to show compassion. When, when someone's hurting or somebody's going through something, we want to be able to just stop everything. The problem is we fill our schedule so much 
that we can't say yes. So what we have to do is we have to eliminate some of the things that are not necessary and to create a bucket called margin. And when everything else tries to jump in it, we tell it no. Because we want to have flexibility in our lives and in our schedule. All of us woke up today with 24 hours. No one had more. No one had less. But we all manage it differently. So we have to create margin and then we have to protect it. I'm not saying that you're going to create like an hour a week in your schedule and that's when tragedy is going to happen. You're like, look, I can respond. How glorious, you know? It's that you have the flexibility to move things around so that you can respond. So that you're not in this, like, I want to help, but I just can't. But we create margin and we protect it. And the third thing, the third way that we show generosity is with what we've been entrusted. Verse 35, the next day he handed the innkeeper two silver coins telling him, take care of this man. If his bill runs higher than this, I'll pay you the next time I'm here. Like immediately I think of like Home Alone in New York when Kevin runs up like the high bill of room service and his dad like freaks out at the end. Because here's this guy, he's extending his own credit to somebody he doesn't know. He's like, hey, here's money for, for his stay. And if it takes more than that, next time in town, I'll settle up with you. Like, that's kind of scary, right? That's a blank check. But why? Notice I didn't say that we respond with things that we own or with what's ours, but with things that we have been entrusted Bible is clear that we are, we are managers, that we are stewards of the resources that God has given us. That at the end of our lives, we give an account for what we did, for, for how we lived, for how we stewarded, for, for the words we spoke, for everything. We, we give an account, right? How we manage that is a huge part of it. Um, there was years ago, uh, we were part of a church and we were challenged uh, for, for one week that we would, instead of giving our tithes to the church, that we were challenged to take that tithe money and to go and to bless somebody in the community, to go and bless somebody that we know. And so my wife and I, we, we prayed about it um, and we decided to, to give it to uh, a person we're kind of close with that we knew, we knew their, their situation, they were hurting. And so we were like, we're giddy because we're like, this is cool. We get to bless somebody uh, with, with some money and just say, hey, just want you to know that God loves you, God sees you. And and so we did it, and we, we, we met up with them. We, we gave them the money. It's like, hey, I feel like the Lord wanted us to give this to you. And, uh, and it was, it was kind of a cool feeling. And then a couple days later, uh, we found out that they, uh, this person had, had just lost the money, like just misplaced it, just like it was gone. And I was like, oh, that's not how I ended, thought the story was going to end up. You thought like, man, I paid some bills, and like I'm back in church, and like all these cool things. And I was like, oh, you just lost the money? I just can't remember where you put it. It's not like it was $20. I mean, it wasn't like thousands, but it was, it was a good bit of money, but it's just, you lost it. And I was just like, oh. But it felt like the Lord put it on our hearts. Like, you know what? It wasn't yours to begin with. And, and why in, in my rationale of thinking was, was the money that was going to be the blessing. Maybe it was just a fact. Maybe it was just the act of generosity that was actually the seed that was planted. 
Our job is to just be obedient to what the Holy Spirit leads us to do. The rest is up to the Lord. Because if, if, if we don't take credit for, for the seed that was planted and the seed that, that God tells us to, to plant, we can never take credit for the harvest. So at the end of the day, if the results are not ours, that's a great place to be. We're just obedient with the steps that he has given us to do. Uh, I saw, I heard a pastor say this this week. His name is Levi Lesko. He says, anything that God blesses you with that you don't in turn praise him for runs the risk of becoming an idol in our lives. Think about that for a second. Anything that, that God blesses us with that we don't in turn praise him for has the potential and runs the risk of becoming an idol in our lives because we think we earned it. Because we look to it as our place of security and of provision and of refuge. So how do we do this? How do we respond with generosity with what God has entrusted with us? The same idea as the last time, we create margin. Because the, the American mentality, if we're honest, is, is we work hard, we, we manage our, our money, we, we try to operate within uh, a budget, the B word, you know, uh, no one likes that one. And then uh, when we get a raise or there's an increase of money, um, our, our standard of living increases also, right? And the more we get, the standard of living increases. But it's this thing where, where we gain more, where we margin is created, and we keep our standard of living the same. And you know what happens? There's extra and if we want to be able to respond with a yes when a situation happens with generosity, then we need to prepare for it. Then we need to create margin in our living and in our saving so that when there's a need, we can say, hey, you know what? God put it on my heart to save this a few months back, and I just want to bless you. I want you to know that God sees you, God cares for you, that God provides for you. Hey, I, w- I want you to know that that that." We love you. I know you're going through a hard time in your family and in this situation, but I just want you to know that you are loved. And, and as, a, as a family of God, that, that we are for you, that we're in your corner, not just, oh, I'm going to pray for you, but we're really in your corner. We're vested in you. We all want to respond that way. So we need to live in a way that we can with the things that we've been given and entrusted. And lastly, is that generosity demonstrates the heart of the gospel. At the end of the day, that's what it does. Like, yes, the world needs to hear the gospel, but the world desperately needs to see the gospel lived out by people who claim to be followers of Jesus. Like, like the, that's what the world needs to see. They need to see this, this radical generosity. Think about it. We were dead in sin. We could do nothing to help ourselves, but God made a way through the perfect life, death, burial, resurrection of Jesus for us to be restored. That's generosity. But that, that's the gospel. The gospel is, is his grace that is lavished on us that we could not earn, that we didn't discern, didn't deserve And so what generosity does is generosity helps us to be able to point to the message of the gospel, helps people to see, hey, why are are you so generous with what you have? I mean, that's yours. You know, honestly, it's not even mine to begin with. God has blessed me so much that I just want to be a blessing to other people because he's changed my life. He's radically changed my family and my life, and I have purpose and I have hope and I have joy. Let me tell you about my God. 
generosity gives us a platform for people to be able to hear the gospel because they first see it. In 2 Corinthians, we see this cycle played out. 2 Corinthians 9, there, there's, a, there's a, a humanitarian need in the, in the people of Jerusalem. And so th- there's uh, other, the people of Corinth, they're wanting to give money towards this. And Paul says, remember this, a farmer who plants only a few seeds will get a small crop, but the one who plants generously will get a generous crop. You must, you must each decide in your hearts how much to give. And don't give reluctantly or in response to pressure. That's how we want people to give towards the Lord, towards other people. Not in compulsion, not in guilt, not in shame. But hey, what does the Lord put on your heart? You give joyfully. You give not out of reluctancy or not out of of obligation, but we get to give. We get to live generous lives. For God loves a person who gives cheerfully. And God will generously provide all you need. For you will always have everything you need and plenty left over to share with others. As the scriptures say, they share freely and give generously to the poor. Their good deeds will be remembered forever. For God is the one who provides seed to the farmer and bread to eat. In the same way, he will provide and increase your resources and then produce a great harvest of generosity in you. Yes, you will be enriched in every way so that you can always be generous. It didn't say comfortable, did it? It didn't say you'll be enriched and blessed so that you can live a comfortable life. It said you can do that so that you can continue to be generous. And when, you t- and when we take your gifts to those who need them, they will thank God. So two good things will result from this ministry of giving. The needs of the believers in Jerusalem will be met, and they will joyfully express their thanks to God. And as a result of your ministry, they will give glory to God. For your generosity to them and to all believers will prove that you are obedient to the good news of Christ. And they will pray for you with deep affection because of the overflowing grace God has given to you. Thank God for this gift too, wonderful for words. Meaning that we did nothing, that God blesses us and God gives us so that we have and we manage it well. There's a need. We get to be generous and meet the need. And the people who receive the need, their needs are met. But then they glorify God in the process and they give thanks to God and they pray for the people. And it's this cycle that continues because people are operating how we're designed to operate. Not inward focused, but outward focused. And this beautiful thing, we we talked about it last week in the book of Acts, like they didn't even view their things as their own. Imagine how different the world would be if we were generous, not just for generosity's sake, but we were generous so that other people could see the hope that you and I have in Jesus. A few years back, I saw this really cool story about this um, NFL play. NFL player who um, decided to make a massive change in his life. So take a look at this short video. Finally tonight, once you've made it to the big time, why would you ever want to go back down to the farm? Steve Hartman found the answer on the road. At one point, number 60, Jason Brown was one of the best centers in the NFL. At one point, he had a five-year $37 million contract with the St. Louis Rams. And at one point, he decided it was all meaningless and just walked away from football. My agent, you know, he told me, he said, you're making the biggest mistake of your life. And I looked right back at him. I said, no, I'm not. No, I'm not. 
So what could possibly trump the NFL? You wouldn't believe. Jason Brown quit football to be a plain old farmer. Even though he never farmed a day in his life, how did you learn even to do what you're doing? Get on the internet, you watch YouTube videos. So you learned how to farm from YouTube? Yeah. You can still plant your crops. Thanks to YouTube and some good advice from other farmers here in Lewisburg, North Carolina. This week, Jason finished harvesting his first five acre plot of sweet potatoes. When you see them pop up out of the ground, man, it's the most beautiful thing that you could ever see. He says he has never felt more successful not in man's standards, but in God's eyes. But God cares about the NFL. I see people praying to him on the field all the time. <laughs> yeah, yeah, there's a lot of people praying out there. But um, when, when I think about a life of, of greatness, I think about a life of, of service. Which leads us here. Which leads us here, yes. See, his plan for this farm which he calls First Fruits Farm, right. is to donate the first fruits of every harvest to food pantries. Today, it's all five acres, 100,000 pounds of sweet potatoes. It's unusual for a grower to grow a crop just to give away. Rebecca Page organizes food collection for the needy. And that's what Jason has done. And he's planning to do more next year. Jason has a thousand acres here which could go a long way toward eliminating hunger in this neck of North Carolina. Love is the most wonderful currency that you can give anyone. You sure you played in the NFL? <laughs> yes. Because I feel like cuddling you right now. <laughs> Don't do that. <laughs> Jason may have left the NFL, but apparently holding is still a penalty. Steve Hartman on the road in Lewisburg, North Carolina. How cool is that, right? My hope and prayer, yeah, that's awesome. Our hope and prayer is that we would be a people who are so in awe of what God has done for us that we would be compelled to live generous lives. That we would be compelled that when we see the needs of the people around us and the world around us, that we'd say, this is what I want to do, this is what I get to do, I want to be generous and that through that people would see the gospel in action. They would want the hope that we have and we can live lives so that when we give an account, we say, I, God, I, I tried to glorify you in all that I had and all that I did because I knew at the, beginning of the, at the end of the day it wasn't mine to begin with. So let's be a people who are generous with our time, with our compassion, with our care and with what God has entrusted to us. Let's pray. Father, we thank you so much that you displayed generosity when you lavished your grace upon us. When you made a way for us to be restored into relationship with you despite the sin and brokenness and death that we were in, God, you made a way by sending everything your son to take the sins of humanity on himself. Lord, we will never wrap our minds around the gravity of what that means. But God, as we try to, may we continue to be in awe and live lives that reflect that generosity to the world around us.
that we would give not out of compulsion or guilt, but out of joy. Because we know that in our generosity that others may see the gospel. We know that in our generosity that others' needs may be met. Lord, that in our generosity, you are glorified. So Father, help us to be a people who live that out. Not just in these walls, but God, in our communities, in our workplaces, and in our families. To you be the glory and you be the glory alone. Father, we love you. We thank you for this day. And it's in your mighty and holy name we pray. Amen. Thanks for listening to the Renovation Church Sermon Podcast. Find out more about following Jesus and building his kingdom at therenovation.church.